everyone. Thanks for checking out the Citizens Podcast. We are the high school student ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. in the student wing. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you posted it on your Instagram story and tag at NBC Citizens. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. So we're concluding our series on uh, the fruit of the spirit today and then next week will be our last one. Uh, but I'm excited because I'm going to uh, announce to you guys what we're going to be doing next, which is a, a series on dating, and it's going to be called Summer Love. Yeah. So uh, as you can see on the screen, there is, it says test. I'm not here who questions to that number. And the way that that works, and the reason why we're doing that is because the, this series at the very end, we're going to do kind of like a panel where we're going to be answering whatever questions that you may have about relationship dating and things like that. So you will get as much out of this series as you want to get. We're going to be covering things from sex, from dating, from the, the idea of the one, when to know and, and how to know whether you are in a good or in a bad relationship and all of these different things. So you want to be for that. That's going to be started in June. But yeah, if you have questions, even now you can start submitting some of the questions that you may have when it comes to this idea of dating. Uh, and I know that when I was in your age, that's something that I, I, I had. I know Trent still asking question about dating, even though he's like 27, and he still hasn't figured it out. So there is hope, guys, that you will still not figure it out when you're 27. So, uh, so yeah, make sure you ask questions so that we can get you to figure it out. But, yeah, that's all for it. Summer Love Series is going to be happening next. Uh, but we're going to dive in today on our Fruit of the Spirit Series. And just to kind of get us, again, refresh our memory in case you forgot, we're going to read from the book of Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. And it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. In the, in, the, in the context of the passage, we've covered it, but we'll say it again. You have uh, the author Paul writing to a church about attention that it is within every single individual that calls himself a Christian, every single individual that has trusted in Jesus. There's this tension within you that there's a side of you that wants you to do the things of the world. You have the desires of the flesh that is the things that you want to do that you know that they're wrong, that you know that there's not beneficial for you, the things that you know that will not bring honor to God and you still want to do them because of the pleasure that they bring, because of the, the emotions, the feelings that they give you in that moment. So you have that pressure and then you have the pressure or, or you have the, the other side that is pulling you to do the things that honor God, the things that bring glory glory to God. So you have the desires of the flesh and the leading of the spirit and how these two things, there is a tension within you. And then in the, all, in the passage, we can tell how there is a way for you and I to tell whether or not we are producing, which, which side is winning the war. We, you're either producing the flesh or you're producing the spirit. If you're not a Christian, if you have not believed in the message of the gospel, then there is no expectation for you to be able to be producing the fruit of the spirit. So when we're talking about love, love, joy, peace, patience, and all of these things, there is no pressure on you to produce those things because you are not a Christian. You need the, the Holy Spirit to help you do that. But if you are a Christian, 
the expectation is, and you actually are called to be producing these things. You are, these are tellers of whether or not you are committed and you walk with God. These are tellers of whether or not you are a follower of God. And so this is why we're taking this long series to, for us to look at every single one of these aspects so that we can recognize whether or not we're producing these things that we ought to produce as Christians. So today is this idea of gentleness. Now, when you're talking about gentleness, you have to talk about meekness because the two go together in, in, in a lot of ways. And a lot of people will define them very similar. Meekness in a short way being defined that is power on the control. We tend to believe that meekness and gentleness tend to be the same thing. But there's a difference. Meekness is how we react. It's like it's our passive reaction to how people treated you. So meekness, being power under control, is how you react when people treat you, whether you have the power to react, and we'll get into that in, in some example, but it's how you will react passively to how people treat you, whereas gentleness is this, is this active action that you take to treat others. So the difference is, is meekness is how people treat you, and how you take it, whereas gentleness is how you ought to treat others. And so we are told in the Bible that we are to produce gentleness. We ought to produce this with our believers, but not only to the believers, but also to those that don't follow Jesus. So to kind of help us illustrate the difference between meekness and gentleness, there's the picture that you all saw, the picture of my boy Will Smith and Chris, uh, uh, not Chris Pratt, um, Chris Rock. There you go. Thank you. First try. So. You saw it most likely. If you haven't saw it, then I have questions about where you're at in life. But this was a big event, and you saw how uh, Chris Rock was making some jokes about Will Smith's wife. And so Chris Rock, or, or Will Smith, in his position, he could have displayed meekness, meaning that he is a very physical individual, that he's strong, he's capable to slap someone if he wanted to. He could have displayed meekness in by simply staying seated and just let the joke be going and not do anything about it. That is like an example of meekness. Now, the opposite of meekness is what he actually ended up doing, which he did is that he got up and he went to him and slapped him. Now, Chris Rock did represent it to us, uh, both meekness and gentleness. In that meekness, he could have retaliated to what Will Smith did. In fact, people asked him if he was going to sue him for what he did as an assault, and he said there was no point in doing such thing. So he had power to retaliate to Will Smith, and yet he didn't do anything about that. That's meekness. Gentleness now is for him to follow up with Will Smith, even though Will Smith did not deserve for him to be treated nicely, he is to be able to go out of his way and treat him in a way that is undeserving. So you got to kind of get to see the picture of this too. I think I give you an example in my life. I was a senior in high school. Some of you have heard the story. Maybe you haven't. But uh, a teacher in my school took away my phone. I was so mad at him. I was, I, I was basically stupid. But I was so mad at him. And so I went out of my way and I snuck out of class and I keyed his car from the very beginning to the very end. I keyed his car. And so this professor had all the rights to you know, get me expelled from school. He had all the rights to get me in legal trouble because I had, you know, messed up with his property. He had all these different things, and yet he chose it to do nothing. He was meek in his response to me. But not only there, he, went, he became gentle in that in the following time, even today as an adult, 
He made it have purpose to reach out to me, to care for him, to make sure that I understood that what I have done, that it was, it was wrong, it was not justified, that it, there was still forgiveness, that he did not hold me accountable, or that he was, was not holding a grudge, and that we can continue to move on. That is an example of both meekness and gentleness. Now, here's the thing. As guys, especially as guys, but even for all of us, when we talk about this idea of being gentle, it's not typically well-received, Right? How many of you want to be described as someone who's gentle? Not many, right? To be described as gentle, for at least as a guy, if you describe me as gentle, I personally don't like that because it kind of translates as weakness, right? You want to be known as someone who is strong, powerful, capable, being able to do whatever you want to do, right? Those are things that are appealing to, at least for me, but to be described gentle is not something that I aspire to do. And yet we are called to produce this. And so as we're going diving into this, there's something we need to recognize is that it requires more strength and power for you to be meek and gentle than to be active and aggressive. All right? You have to recognize those things because when we're looking at this idea of gentleness and meekness, it requires more from you and me to be someone who is meek and gentle than to be aggressive, loud, and, and, you know, domineering and all of those things. Then in reality, if we're looking at a person to see who is more strong or who is more powerful is the person that is meek and gentle. Now, today we're only going to be focusing on the idea of gentleness. So here are some tellers on how to know whether or not you're someone who's gentle. If I was to ask you, are you gentle, these are some tellers for you to know whether or not you are. Now, here's the thing. When you're looking at this list as this question that we're going to be asking, I want you to ask them as if someone else in the room was, asking, was answering those questions for you. So let's, for example, Josh, come over here. Thank you, Josh. My man, Josh, everybody. Give it up for Josh. Now, yeah. Now, I want you to look at this question as, you know, I'm, Josh, I want Josh to look at those questions as if, you know, Trent, if I was asking Trent for those questions, hey, Trent, it's just this or that. And I want you to answer how you think he will answer. Thank you. Now, here's the, here's the little disclaimer. The person that I want you to choose is not your best friend or the friends in your inner circle. I want you to ask that or to consider how, you, how the people in this room will, ask, will answer those questions about you. If I went to ask Rusty, hey, Rusty, what do you think of Audrey? That's how I want you to answer. Audrey, I want you to answer how Russell will answer. That's the idea. Do you guys get me? Capiche? All right, so let's dive into First question, are you sensitive to other people's rights and feeling? So when someone has a right and a feeling and they feel in a particular way, are you sensitive to that or are you somebody that you just don't care? You will go through it. You will just do your thing. And if people want to follow truth, awesome. If they want to jump on the bus, awesome. But if they don't jump on the bus, we're going to run them over. Is that who you are? Number two, do people tend to relax in your presence? This room right here, you know, we're chilling, we're having fun, and then you walk into the room and the whole atmosphere just changes. Now there is this uncomfortness in the room because you're there. Is that how people feel about you? Is that how people will describe you as someone that gets things unease, that we're not feeling as comfortable? Is that who you are? Not only that, do they worry that they will be looked down on or criticized by you? Is that, who we, is that how you are described? 
that people are worried when you're around because they think that you're going to look down on them or you're going to be criticizing them. Let me tell you something. If that's you, that might be cool now in high school. But just guess what? When you get out of the real world, when you're in college, when you're an adult, those things are not attractive. And you're going to find yourself in a very lonely world if that is how you handle yourself. Because adults don't put up with that. They got options. Now, in high school, it may seem attractive. It may seem like something that you can get away with. But listen, if that is who you are, that's not going to last for you unless you want to be lonely for the rest of your life. Number three, are you sensitive to other people's opinions and idea? If someone says something to you that you don't agree with, how do you take it? How do you respond? Do you look at them as if they're dumb? Do you treat them as if they're lesser than you? Or are you gentle and just give them the opportunity to say, hey, there's room for disagreement? How do you deal with people like this? Number four, are you domineering and intimidating? Are people afraid of you? Do you look down on them? Do you treat them as if they're dumber than you? And listen, let's put it, I'm just going to put it out there. I'm going to be straightforward. None of you guys have life out together. I don't have life put together. We're all trying to figure our life as we go in. So for you to think that you're better than someone else, you're so full of yourself. And to think that you know more and that you know and that you're someone more valuable than someone in this room, then you have gotten the whole picture of the gospel wrong. Because Jesus did not die for you just because you were awesome and special. He died for you because you were broken, you were left in sin, you were died, you were, you were in the pit of sin, and you were in desperate need of a Savior. That is all of us without exception. So for you to think that you're better than someone else, you have gotten the picture of the gospel completely wrong. So consider that. Number five, do you treat, do you tread them, treat them or however you say that word, people directly or indirectly? Are you someone that people are afraid because of what you will do, what you will say, how you manipulate, how, how you will deal with them? Is that's how you are? Now consider this, again, not in the circle of your friendship. Consider this in how the strangers, the people that you probably haven't talked to this whole time in the youth, how will they answer those questions about you? That is truly who you are as a person. That's how you will be able to tell whether or not you are someone who's gentle. Number six, do you avoid blunt, blunt speech in a abrupt manner? When someone does something that annoys you, when someone messes with you, are you someone that easily loses your patience, that just calls them out for whatever they're doing and just get, you know, aggressive about them? You will see a middle schooler walking into the room and they get loud and obnoxious and your first response is to yell back at them. Is that who you are? Is that how you behave? If the answer is yes, then that means that you don't have gentleness. Number seven, do you talk with people with sensitivity and respect? How do you address one another? Are you sensitive to what's each other's needs and struggles and hurt? Number eight, do you degrade or belittle or gossip about someone else? Is gossip part of your life? Are you gossiping people behind their back? Are you talking about people behind their back? That's not gentleness. That's the opposite of gentleness. Number, eight, number nine, do you listen to reason? Are you someone that you think that you have everything, that you know the answers to everything, and when someone is starting to talk to you into reason, you t- tell yourself, nah, I know better. Now, here's the thing. If you look at all these nine questions, and we could have gone on on questions. There's so many other ways that we can ask about this. But if you look at this nine question and you're like there, you know what, I got one yes. 
It does not mean that, that you're gentle. It's quite the opposite. It means that you're in desperate need of being gentle. We are all in desperate need of being gentle. Because once again, that is not something that we thrive to be. We don't look at gentleness as something that we ought to have. Instead, we look at gentleness as something that is weak, that is something that is, un, that is minimum. But in reality, as we see in the passage, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is what you ought to be producing. You ought to be known as someone who is gentle, not just in your inner circle, but gentle by every person that you come in contact with, whether it's here in church, in school, in home, wherever it is. This is what you ought to produce. So what do we do with that? So being, being gentle, being sensitive and careful regard for others, we're going to look at the example of how God deals with us. I mean, I, obviously, God is the greatest example of gentleness, but I want us to look at his example in the book of Isaiah chapter 40. Now, this is God talking to the nation of Israel that if you remember or if you didn't know, the nation of Israel was God's chosen people. And God had done many things to show the nation of Israel how much he loved them, how much he cared for them, how much he was for them. And yet over and over the nation of Israel rebelled against God. And over and over the nation of Israel did what opposed God. And in a similar way, we may find ourselves in the story of being Israel in that God has demonstrated his love for us and that we, while we still were sinners, he died for us. And yet, instead of recognizing and living a life that brings honor and glory to him, we're more quick to just do whatever we want. We're more quick to produce the desires of the flesh instead of producing the desires or, or being led by the spirit. So, here's what we see in chapter 40. Here's what he says in verse 13. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him counsel? Who can look at God and give him counsel? Who can go to God and tell him what to do? Number verse 14. Whom did he console and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the ways of understanding? This is our rhetorical question. The author is asking who is someone that can go to God and tell him what to think or what to do and how to behave, how to find justice, how to know. Who is capable of doing that? If God is truly all-knowing, and all-powerful who is capable of doing those things. Then he goes in verse 17, all the nations are as nothing before him. They are account, accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. Let's that thing sink in. All the nations of the world, you think of America being the greatest country in, America, in the world right now, USA, right? You think about whatever country, you put it out there, whatever you think is the definition of greatness doesn't even compare to who God is, the author says, he says that they are accounted by him less than nothing in emptiness. How can you be less than nothing? How can you be less than empty? That is a very figurative speech of how immensely the power of God is. Verse 24, or 25, he says, to whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. God is saying to his people, all right, so who can you compare me with? If I am, if this is truly who I am, who can you compare me with? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created this. Look around and see who was the one who created the world, who created each one of you. He brings out their host by numbers, calling them all by name, by the great, great, uh, greatness of his mind. And because he is strong in power, no one is missing. Again, he's reminding them of his majesty and power. And then he says in verse 28, Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends and of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. We have covered this passage in the past. 
verse 29, he gives powers to the faint, and to him who has no mind, he increases strength. Even you shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. In all of this stuff, God is portraying his power, his majesty, who he is, how he can deal. There, He has no reason to justify what he does. He has no excuse of why he should deal with us the way that he lives. He is majestic, all-powerful, all-knowing. And yet look how he deals with the nation of Israel and how he deals with you and me. In verse 11, he says, in, in verse 10, Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. Verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arm. He will carry them in his bosom. Gently lead those that are with young. Get that imagery of what is happening here. This is how the author is describing this powerful and almighty God and how he deals with the nation of Israel in the same way that he deals with you and me. He says, he will send his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arm. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. That is the picture of a great God right there. This is what he's saying. If you think about sheep, they are the dumbest animals that there probably are out there. And they are animals that are in desperate need of someone to come and care for them because there are animals that over and over, they make the same mistakes over and over. It doesn't matter if you talk to them. It doesn't matter if you address them. It doesn't matter if you, uh, you know, you kind of sit them down and talk and walk them through what to do or not to do. They will still make the same mistake over and over, which is why they desperately need someone to come alongside them and protect them. Not only that, they are easily endangered by whoever is around them. They're easy to be persuaded. They're easily to be led astray. They're easily being able to be at risk because of the animals around them that want to see them as prey. This is what they are, right? This is how the, the, the sheep are, which is why it is, it is immensely important for them to have a shepherd that will come along them and care for them. The imagery here is of a God that is the greatest shepherd and us being those sheep. Whether you like that analogy or not, the reality is that you and I are not different from being sheep because we are individuals that are constantly doing what opposes God. We're individuals that even though we know what the Bible says, that even though we know what we ought to do and what not to do, we still find ways to walk away and do our own things and get ourselves in risk. And the imagery here that we see is of a God that goes like a shepherd, that grabs us when we are in loss, when we are hurting, when we have no escape, no hope. He comes and grabs us. And like the, I love this what he says, that he picks him up and carries him. This imagery of being safe in the arms of the shepherd, this is how gentle God is. This majestic God that could easily just let us be lost, that could easily get us be dismissed. He takes the time to lift up broken people, sinful people that will still ignore him, that will still do whatever we want, that will still do the desires of the flesh. He lifts us and in his care he grabs us and cares for us like a loving and good shepherd. This is what gentleness looks like. That even though he has all the rights and all the ways to do whatever he wants, he is willing to set himself aside for our care. Gentleness, gentleness being this, 
is to put your preference, is to put your convenience, your rights, and ultimately you serve aside for the care and love of those around you. That is what gentleness means. That is the responsibility that you and I have. That we are caring and loving for each other. That we take the time to put everything aside to treat people the way that they ought to be treated. Not as inconvenience, not as annoyance, but to treat them for who they are. Which is sons and daughters of God, creation of God. That is what gentleness is about. So here's what we do, where we go from here. So steps four towards gentleness. All of us need to be gentle. That's a recognition. Whether you want to recognize it or not, that is a reality. We all need to learn how to be gentle. So what should we do to become gentle? Number one, you need to desire it. See, gentleness is something that not many of us wants to thrive to have. It's not something that we want to be, be known as. It's not something that we want to practice. So there has to be a part within you to recognize that you have to desire to be gentle. You have to be gentle because it is one of the fruit of the Spirit. So it's something that you need to have. So desire. Number two, consider and accept the feedback of others. See, uh, I, I printed out the questions. There's some in the back if you want this for you to answer yourself. But you look at those questions and you look at the feedback of what people tell you and how people see you and how people treat you. And you can have a teller whether or not you need to change in some area of your life. And see, if someone comes to you and says, you know, Benny, you're very harsh in how you talk. Benny should not be like, ah, I don't care what you say. No, instead, Benny should be like, you know what, maybe there is true in what you're saying. Let me consider and become more gentle in how I deal and talk to other people. Not only you have to desire, consider, and accept. Accept the meaning that it's going to take you into action, what the feedback of other people are saying about you. So if you're known for something, if you're recognized by something, and it's not good, it's not bring glory or honor to God, then you might want to change that. And number three, Pray. When was the last time that you prayed for being gentle? I tell you in transparency, it's been a minute for me the last time I prayed to be gentle. Because it's not something that I thrive to have. What about you? When was the last time that you prayed to be gentle? You genuinely asked God, God, I want to be known as someone that is gentle to others. Someone that recognized the love that you pour out on me. That even though I was a lost sheep that was lost doing my own thing, following the desires of my flesh, you were still caring enough to pick me up and bring me to your presence. When was the last time you prayed for gentleness? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the pleasure and the privilege that it is to come to church and listen what you have to teach us, Lord. I pray, Father, that we will indeed be known to be people that are gentle, that if there are areas in our life that do not produce gentleness, Lord, where it is our speech, our manners, our manners, our behaviors, what we, however we treat each other, Lord, that I pray, Father, that you would convict us, that you would help us in recognizing that we need to change, and that we will do whatever we need to do, Lord, to become what uh, you want us to be, which is gentle people, Lord. Thank you so much because you are gentle to us, regardless of the fact of whether we are, we are or not. And Father, we pray that we will recognize the role that we have to play as your children's of uh, our children's of you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, guys, thank you so much for coming. Good morning and city.